0: Morning. morning. If you would please take out your Bible, our Old Testament texts are found in First Kings, First Kings chapter three, verses three through fourteen, and then chapter ten, verses twenty-three through twenty-nine. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, and the page number, at least for the first text, is listed to you for you in the bulletin. Of course, uh, set the stage here for you. Uh, This is the time when Solomon is actually being uh, inaugurated king over Israel. It is a special time for Israel. Uh, Many have highlighted this time of Solomon's reign as the Golden Age. And uh, God has a word for Solomon, and we'll read about it in this passage, beginning at verse 3 of chapter 3. Listen here to God's word. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said... Ask uh, what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, Thou hast shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according to he, as, as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him This great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen." a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there... uh, has, not, uh, has uh, been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. And then to chapter 10, beginning at verse 23. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. And they brought every man his gift, articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. Now Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver, as common as stones in Jerusalem. And he made Caesars as plentiful as sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Also Solomon imported horses, uh, of horses that were from Egypt and Kew, and the king's merchants procured them from Kew for a price. And a chariot was imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And by the same means they imported exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Arameans. Amen. Our gospel reading can be found in Luke chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Listen here to God's word. Now, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a certain village and a man and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary, she has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen then our epistle reading is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ." For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, Yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. Amen. This time, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's word that we've read this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we ask that the spirit of the living God who inspired the writers of this, your holy word, would inspire our hearts, our minds, our lives with the living and abiding word of God, that we would be able to feed upon your word and that it would indeed give us life in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sermon today, as you probably saw in the bulletin, is Distractions Deter Devotion. And one of the phenomenons that we're experiencing today, more than ever before as a nation, is that we have access to so many things through technology. In fact, States across our country have had to ban the use of technology when it comes to using our cell phones as we're driving on the road. Why? Because it's proven to be a distraction that has had deadly results. And yet, 95% of us as Americans, 95% own cell phones and I might say other electronic devices. I've just put on display some of mine here. And of course this one here. Um, All of these devices are very useful tools. But like using a telephone when we're driving an automobile going 55 miles an hour, and I know some of you go more, down a road and looking down at a blue screen is not the safest way for us to continue to get to our destination. In fact, this problem with technology has grown so much that even some restaurants today are trying to ban cell phones in their establishment. And the reason for that is this. It is ruining the atmosphere of the restaurant because people are always looking at their screens and typing in things or picking up their phones and calling and talking to people so loudly that they're disturbing other patrons. So many restaurants today are trying to have a, if you will, a ban on cell phones, a no cell phone zone. My question to you today, would you patronize such a restaurant that told you that you needed to take your cell phone and turn it off and put it in a container as your meal comes to your table? I think that what, what they're really after when they're trying to make this suggestion to us is that we lose the quality of our relationships even at sitting at a meal in a restaurant when we're always being connected or disconnected by this device. Do You mean to tell me That when I'm sitting across from somebody, a good friend or something, and they have that glowing sort of rays coming from their face, that it's not because of their um, gracious and wonderful personality. It happens to be the screen of a cell phone. Yes, I'd like to tell you that's what it is. And I'd like to tell you this that we think that we're controlling all of the information that is coming to us, but I'd like to propose to you that it is one of many distractions that is deterring us from having real, personal, meaningful relationships with one another. And more importantly, I'd like to tell you that it is hindering in a great way our relationship With our God. What happens under these conditions in which we choose to live by? I think we become forgetful in our minds of what God has said to us is important. We have a a tendency anyway to forget things. In fact, as I get older, I'm forgetting more things all the time. But the forgetting that I'm alluding to here is not this inability to remember maybe a name or a detail or a past event. No, this forgetfulness that I'm proposing is done because of the distractions that we're involved with in the attractions and the attainments that are offered by us in this world. And as we pursue them, and as we get engrossed in them, we as believers are making subtle, and I'd like to say not too subtle, shifts in our priorities. This shift causes many to get to the place where they're taking God for granted. They're seeing and assessing that God's truth in his word is, well, it's inconsequential. And that God's covenantal relationship that he wants to have with them has become a burden or excessive. And in the process, the passionate fire of a vibrant faith is slowly being smothered out. How does this happen? Through these distractions, I propose, as as well as others, that we use every day. The urgency, the expectancy of drawing near to God Almighty with a sincere heart that is devoted to worship, to prayer, to the study of His Word, to spiritual service, is almost degraded to the point of just becoming something that we do routinely. The Bible warns us about this in a lot of different areas. I'd like to ask you to turn to 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. Because when our purpose gets distracted in the way I believe it is for many of us, and our devotion to the things that are important to God get uh, off track, then this goal becomes very elusive for each one of us. Paul says, but the goal of our instruction is love with a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Notice verse 6. But some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions. Boy, if that doesn't size up texting, I don't know what does. Fruitless, often fruitless discussion. Not to mention Facebook, and Twitter, and Tweet, and Instagram and all these other avenues that we think are so important that I'd like to propose to you, they are sapping away the life of your faith in Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is also brought out here by the writer of the Hebrews. In chapter 10, verses 19 and following, The writer of the Hebrews says this. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another by love and and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Our minds are so cluttered and so distracted by these worldly ambitions, if you will, which we we are actually taught in the scriptures that we should deny them. Just look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We have come to the place that we forget that our almighty God who created the heavens and the earth by his word, has graciously and lovingly made a new covenant that has been ratified by the blood sacrifice of his own beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that as the God-man who made full atonement for our sins as his people, and having been saved, by God's amazing grace through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, we are fully justified. Our sins are fully forgiven. We are wholly reconciled and at peace with God. That as believers in Christ, we are sealed by the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we are endowed by that same Spirit with spiritual gifts, divine power, and true knowledge and heavenly wisdom to live godly while doing God's ordained works in this world for his glory. We are adopted children of God. We are members of God's household. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. God has made this awesome and everlasting covenant with you and me so that we might experience it this eternal life in union with him. How can we do this if we're always distracted with all these things? However, this awesome new covenant relationship with God, unfortunately, I believe, no longer seems enough for us today. There's this inclination because of all the access to all these things and the information that we receive that we just want something more. More. To stand firm in the faith of what God says about who we are and whose we are and for whom we are to live is being undermined by the world, the flesh, and the devil to this very day. We are being assaulted by widespread antagonists that use these these instruments that tell us and explain to us, if you will, get over this myth, mythical God and get on with real life in the 21st century. And my question to you, as well as to me today is this: Are we allowing ourselves and our children through these vehicles to be swayed by these hostile? and deceitful explanations of what the meaning of life really is, both in academia as well as through the media, that denies God and God's word. The educational institutions continue to aggressively attack and oppose and ban the revelation of God in our schools at all levels. There is a propensity on each one of us to acquiesce because these are academic professionals, right? But they deny the authority and dispute the veracity of the Bible or at the very least, they dismiss it as myth or discredit it as untrustworthy. Have we forgotten That the world through its wisdom does not come to know God. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. That those living in unbelief suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. And having exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Romans 1, 18 through 24. Beloved, when a Christian is seduced by the reason of this world, his thoughts, once anchored on the truth of God's truth and word, become uncertain. And if left unchecked, it may cause him to walk away from God and God's will for his own life. We must remember when we begin to forget God, we have replaced God with a rival God. Hosea four thirteen, thirteen, verse six, which leads me to this next element that deters our devotion to God, and that is illicit affections. Oh, we've probably all grown up and heard these proverbial axioms that have come from the world that went like this. Do what seems best to you. Follow your own heart and you'll never go wrong. Let me tell you, both of those axioms are completely wrong. They have failed to read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that says that the heart is uh, wicked beyond all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, where Jesus says that out from the heart comes all of this evil and wickedness. Or as Jesus, as he's here preaching The kingdom of God has to deal with people here in his own midst in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. And as he confronts these religious leaders as hypocrites, he quotes Isaiah 29, verse 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines, the precepts of men. We are called upon in the scriptures over and over again to make sure our affections are right, to set our affections on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, to not love the world, nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And what happens when we start to embrace these things of the world and get distracted by them? It becomes a source of quarrels to our pleasures that wage war in our members. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But there's a third component to this. And I'd like to say that the, once the affections uh, are taken over by the world, and once our Minds become forgetful about what Gods our wills become bent towards the things of the world. We become divided and deceived. When we fail, beloved, to do what God tells us to do, it's often not because we're ignorant. It's because we do not want what God tells us not to desire. We want to go ahead anyway. Solomon, we read about, received clear commands from the Lord. He was charged over and over again. I only pointed to one passage, there are actually four in the book of First Kings, where God charges him to keep his commandments, to keep his statutes, to do what he is supposed to do. And then the blessings will come. But instead, he gets sidetracked in the blessings of his wisdom and his wealth, and he allows his will to be deceived with the pride of these achievements and his own ambitions. And in time, he is led astray from the Lord and into idolatry. And what about Martha, that little exchange that she has there with the Lord Jesus about Mary sitting at his feet and listening to the words that Jesus is saying to her while she is out there in the kitchen, busily working, preparing for Jesus's visit. What do we have to say about that? Jesus is already there. He's actually there. And instead of wanting to be with him, she's being busy about Preparing for him. And what about the Corinthian church? Well, yes, they were being deceived by false apostles who claimed a superiority that was greater than Paul's, and they did speak eloquently so that the ears of their hearers were tickled, but they spoke in error, and they were leading the church astray by teaching self willed means to God rather than God's means. They were presenting another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And people were heeding it. It was Lord Acton that said, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And a lot of times we think that we can go through this life with our technologies and our ability to learn and all the rest of it and do it without God. And the distractions that we're dealing with in this life are taking us away from seeing our dependency on God. It was the Lord Jesus who really summed it up what life was really supposed to be about. Jesus said, it was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like to it, to love our neighbor as ourself. The reason why this is hitting so much home for me is because I've been distracted my priorities, as I've looked last, through last year and into this year, have not been first to love the Lord my God, but other things. I've had to repent of them. I had to make adjustments. And I'd like to encourage you that if you find yourself in a similar place to do the same. Some applications for us. The way that helped me is the first thing I did is I just needed to identify what were the distractions and to take proactive and preventative action. In other words, folks, You will not see me on Facebook, Instagram, tweet, Twitter, or any of those other means. If you want to talk to me, you can text me on my phone, or give me a call, or set up an appointment. I'd love to meet with you. But I am not doing it through those means anymore. They are wasting my time. The second thing that I realized I needed to do is that I needed to pull, oh, oh, put away all these apparatus that would distract me from my time with the Lord. In other words, you will not be able to get me on the phone early in the morning when I'm having my quiet time because it's in another room. And that may seem horrible to you because what if it's an emergency? If it's an emergency, there's other pastors that you can call. I need my time alone with the Lord. And I'm not trying to be selfish about it. I'm trying to say, I need it. I really need it. I need to hear from him. I need to get my marching orders from him for that day. I need to lay before him what my schedule's going to be in prayer. I need him. And I'd like to encourage you to turn off your phones, to turn off the screens on your computer, and begin to spend some quality time with God. You may even need to turn off these apparatus while you come into this worship service, because they're a distraction. If you need help, I encourage you to form an accountability with other trusted believers. It may be your spouse. It may be your growth group leader. It may be one of us pastors or your shepherd. Those are just some suggestions. And finally, realize that the full potential of your spiritual life with God only comes to any one of us by being obedient to that spiritual union that God has provided for us through Christ. And I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and we'll close with this Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 11 through verse 14. Moses says, through inspiration, beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am am commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, we may not have multiplication with flocks, and maybe not with gold and great homes, but those things can become the distractions and the securities that take the place of our relationship and our dependency on God. Amen.